Well, if you'd like to um, get one of the black Bibles that is probably on a seat or on the floor nearby you and turn to page 593, we're carrying on with our theme that um, Jesus being the light of the world and we're going to read from the prophet Isaiah who foretold a light coming. So page 593 and we're going to read beginning at chapter 8 verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light at dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne for over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on, And forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, good morning. Uh, If you haven't met me before, my name is Andy. I'd love to meet you over coffee later. Um, Can I just add my thanks, my deep thanks uh, to all who helped Carol's be amazing uh, you know who you are. A number of you put in hours and hours of work. Um, so thank you so much for serving our church. It was a beautiful picture of the body uh, working, even in the small ways, um, but also in the big ways. Uh, as we come to God's word, how about we ask for his help? Lord God, I am just a man, but your word is powerful, and your spirit 
works to author these words and to bring them to life in our hearts. And so we pray that as we look at your word, you would speak to us. You would correct us. You would admonish us. You would challenge us. You'd encourage us. And as we think about Christmas, that you would teach us your truth and show us your light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how are you feeling about Christmas? Uh, Tis the season to be jolly and joyous, to quote the Muppet Christmas Carol. If you don't know that song, it's a great one. Uh, It's great, isn't it, to put on the Christmas spirit and uh, embrace the season of giving, of sharing time with loved ones, the gifts, the lights, the food, the fun times. Uh, We had some great food and fun times last night in Lower Hut. Uh, Thanks to everyone who came along. Um, and Christmas joy, it really can lift our spirits at the end of a, a long and, and sometimes hard year. But I think for most people, that's about all Christmas can offer us. We conjure up a little bit of joy at the end of the year, and then it's back to real life again. Is that how you feel about Christmas? Now, I don't want to be a downer, but it it can feel a little bit superficial, can't it? We put on a smile. We tolerate that annoying uncle. We race around trying to find the presents at the last minute if we're disorganized like me. Um, We're going to different end-of-year parties for school and for work and for whatever else. We send out cards. We prepare food, and we say Merry Christmas, and, and we might feel a little bit of this Christmas joy, but it doesn't exactly change our world. See, while we feast on ham and turkey, people are dying of hunger. While we exchange gifts, people in war zones exchange gunfire and rocket strikes. While we share joyful times with loved ones, we also grieve the loss of loved ones who aren't there this Christmas. The joy of Christmas, the light of Christmas, it might last a moment, but then it's gone. For most people, that is Christmas. A brief, momentary glimpse of joy. Christmas, Jesus, it's a nice idea, but it doesn't really fix anything. But what if Christmas, to quote the Grinch, what if Christmas really does mean something a little more. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, well, you know that there is so much more to Christmas than superficial celebrations. You know that the birth of that baby, baby Jesus, was the coming of light into our dark world to save us from the darkness. That's what we're thinking about as a church this Christmas season. Jesus, the light of the world. And this morning, as we look at this passage in Isaiah, written hundreds of years before the first Christmas, before Jesus was born, the light of the world, the Son of God, born into this world to save us from darkness. As we look at this passage, what I'm hoping is that we'll better understand not just Christmas, but the darkness. See, as you understand the darkness, then you can understand and appreciate the light when it comes. 
So bear with me while we go into a little bit of darkness because when we see the light at the other end, it'll be all the more glorious. And because there's nothing superficial about Christmas for the people of God, it's an opportunity to celebrate the lasting, deep hope and joy that we have because of Christmas. Now, you might be familiar with this prophecy in Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It's a wonderful promise. But it's also helpful to look at the context of that statement. What does it mean that people are walking in darkness? Which is why we read the end of chapter 8. So let's read that part again and see if you can see this descent that goes from abandoning God's word and into utter darkness. Have a read with me. Isaiah 8 from verse 19. Isaiah 8, 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they're famished, they'll become enraged and looking upward will curse their God and their king. Then they'll look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. Do you see this descent into darkness? Firstly, people abandon God's word. Isaiah is writing to the nation of Israel and they're faced with armies preparing to invade. And instead of coming to God and consulting God's instruction, listening to his testimony of warning, they've consulted mediums and spiritists. They'd rather listen to the dead than the living God and his word. See, God's word, it can be hard to hear sometimes, can't it? And we can be tempted to look elsewhere for answers. But we're not going to find the answers to the darkness of the world outside of God's word. What does it say there in verse 20? If anyone does not not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. If you want to see the light of dawn, we need to listen to those who are speaking according to God's word. So having abandoned God's word, these people, they become distressed and hungry. Uh, it's a picture of desperate famine, which we see in verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. See, because Israel refused to listen to God's warning, God is going to send famine to the land that was once abundant. They'll roam around looking for food and find nothing. Now, I don't think many, if any, in this room can say we have experienced true hunger. Imagine what that must feel like to experience famine, to watch your kids slowly starving to death while you stand there hopelessly with no solution. This world is so broken, so dark. 
we do see a bit of poverty here in New Zealand, but really we're sheltered from the reality of the poverty and hunger and distress of millions around the world. Suffering, starving, distressed because of greed, corruption, conflict, hate. And I complain about the price of vegetables as I drive my second car to a huge supermarket filled with fruit and veggies and chocolate and ice cream and Christmas pudding. But even though we might not face starvation, as other nations are, distress and hunger are still all around us. Perhaps even inside of you here today. Distressed about our health or a loved one who's sick. Hungry for companionship or acceptance or direction. And the question is, what do you do when you're feeling like that? When you're feeling distressed and hungry? What do you do with the darkness? Well, what happens here in Isaiah's prophecy when the distressed and hungry become famished? Rage. You see that in the second half of verse 21. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. See, Israel abandoned God's word and so God's removed his provision of food from them and now they rage at him. When all options are removed, their vulnerability exposed, they, the desperate will cry out to God. But here, instead of crying out for God's help, trusting him to provide, they curse God. They rage at him. They blame him. They damn him. Now, this is humanity, isn't it? This is the world we live in. We saw it in 1 John, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. But when faced with distress and hunger, the brokenness of this world, instead of crying, help God, help. You are the light, we need your light. Instead we cry, why God, why? This is all your fault, God. Do something about it or you're not worth my time. We stand in judgment and dare to call God, who is light, evil. And once you've cursed God, well, there's no more looking up. And so instead they look toward the earth. Verse 22, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Having abandoned God and his goodness, they look toward the earth and their distress and rage turns to despair and gloom. More darkness. Thrust into utter darkness. See, if you abandon God, the God of light, where are you going to go in the darkness? What hope is there for this dark world? We look around and we just see more and more distress and darkness and gloom. 
So do you see this descent of darkness? That's the context of Isaiah 9. First we abandon God's word, then we become distressed and hungry, then we rage at God, and then we're thrust into utter darkness and despair. So hopeless, isn't it? But can you see it's so true of the world we live in? It's so hopeless, but that's the point. It's when you experience the hopeless darkness of this world that the light of Christ shines so brightly. The promise of Christmas. Isaiah 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Oh, the mercies of God. Rather than leave us to wallow in gloom and despair, which is what we deserve given how we've treated God. No, instead, on those living in darkness, a light has dawned. What is this light? Well, it's a baby, a king. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The light has dawned. Notice four things about the king of light. They should be in your outlines. Firstly, he will be a great king. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is no ordinary kingdom. There will be no end of the greatness of this kingdom. It will be without comparison, larger and more powerful and more magnificent and more abundant than any kingdom seen before or any that will come after. It will be a great king. He will be a great king. Secondly, he will be a peaceful king. Verse 5, we see the garments of war will be burned in the fire because the land will finally be at peace. Verse 6, this child is described as the prince of peace. Verse 7, again, there will be no end to the greatness of his peace. Consider that. Rather than utter darkness, utter peace. Peace means the end of conflict. The ability to flourish in harmony with one another, with our world, within ourselves, and with our God. The Prince of Peace. 
Thirdly, he'll be a good king. Not just a great king, but he'll be called wonderful counselor. He'll uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness, light in the darkness. It's one thing to be a mighty king, to crush your opponents, to bring about peace, but to reign with justice and righteousness. That is the king this world needs. A king who will end poverty and corruption and war. So this child born to Israel will be a great king, a peaceful king and a good king. And finally, he will be an enduring king. He'll be called everlasting father. He will uphold his throne from the time he is crowned king and on forever. Kingdoms rise and fall, don't they? Good kings come, and then they're replaced by horrible ones. Every kingdom, no matter how great, is only one generation away from collapse. That's what we see in history, isn't it? With the successive empires, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Where are they now? They're in the museums and the history books. But this king, this king of light, he will reign forever. Does this sound too good to be true? I mean, how is it possible for a king, a human king, to reign forever? What's only possible if that king is God himself. Emmanuel. God with us. And that's what he's called here, isn't he? This child will be called Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And do you see who will accomplish all this? Right at the end of the passage? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, what people in darkness need, what we need is the light of the God we've rejected to come back into our dark world. The world has abandoned God. We've ignored him. We've raged at him. We've cursed him. But God wasn't going to let us wallow in darkness. He had better plans for our world than that. And he sent us his son as a baby who would become this promised king of light. But I wonder at this point, if you're asking, well, where is he now? Where is this great kingdom that he promised? Where is this justice and righteousness and peace? If Jesus is this king, where is his kingdom of light? If Jesus begun this amazingly great, peaceful, perfect, perpetual reign, how come there seems to be more darkness and gloom and wars and distress and hunger than ever? Why so much darkness if Jesus is on the throne? Well, as we read on in the Bible, we see Jesus' kingdom has been established. It is great, it is peaceful, it is good, and it is enduring. But it's not yet all that visible, right? One day it will be. 
King Jesus will return and every knee will bow and the dead will be raised and we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And those who've trusted Christ will be raised forever to live with God in his perfect kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace. But right now, the kingdom of light, well, it's less visible, right? Just before Jesus was condemned to die, Jesus said to Pilate these words. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. But yet Jesus is the king of this world right now. His kingdom of light has dawned. And we see his kingdom advancing as he rises from the dead, as he ascends to heaven, as he sends out his witness in the power of his spirit. You can read about it in the book of Acts. The kingdom that is not of this world has come to this world. And he's calling a people to himself. We see the greatness of Jesus' kingdom as people step into the light and find forgiveness in his name. He saves one at a time until a great multitude will one day gather around his throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We see Jesus, the Prince of Peace, reigning now as people turn from their rebellion against God and are reconciled to God, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. And they themselves become peacemakers. We see Jesus ruling with justice and righteousness as his people are given new hearts, hearts that seek to truly love their neighbor as they have been loved. And we see Jesus' kingdom established forever as he conquered death and gathers us to eternal life. See, you can see God's light come into the world. Not in some kind of organized religion or moralistic nice people, but in spirit-filled, wholehearted followers of Jesus. And that light will conquer. Of the greatness of his government, there will, and peace, there will be no end. That's the kingdom you're part of if you're a follower of Jesus. And there'll be no end and no defeat, because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, it's through the preaching and the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus' kingdom advances. And this is where a lot of Christians seem to be confused when it comes to think about the nation of Israel which is a lot more in our faces at the moment with this terrible conflict in Gaza at the moment. But it's not that confusing 
once you realize that Jesus' kingdom advances not by the sword, but by the word. He's the prince of peace, remember? So it's not through Israel reclaiming the promised land that Jesus' kingdom will be established. God is not calling Israel to retake their land off Hamas or rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. God is calling Israel to repent and follow the king who is already sitting on the throne of David and has been reigning there for 2,000 years to follow their Messiah, the Prince of Peace. He is the temple that they destroyed, but who rebuilt it in three days. You are that temple if he dwells in you by his spirit. See, when they read prophecies like this in Isaiah 9, the Jews were expecting some great warrior king to come and overthrow the Romans. But God had different plans, didn't he? He sent an unexpected king, born into a poor family from a backwater town in a stable, placed in an animal trough. A king who would be crowned with thorns and exalted high on a cross of shame for everyone to mock him. Hail, king of the Jews! How right they were. But through the zeal of the Lord Almighty, this king was establishing his kingdom. Through his death for sins and his defeat of death as he rose as the forever king. See, the Jewish people were so blinded by the darkness that they crucified the king of light that God sent to save them. And our world is so blinded by the darkness that they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's foolishness to them. Can you see the glory of God in Christ? Uh, If the band would like to come up, you're probably familiar uh, with the parable of the sower. I'm just going to close with this. The parable of the sower that, that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, God's word is sprinkled like seed. Uh, for some, it's snatched away by birds. It's not the one on the screen, by the way. Uh, so God's word is sprinkled like seed. It's snatched away by birds. Uh, for others, it starts, it starts to grow, but it's choked out by the weeds of worry. Or perhaps the pursuit of wealth. Or it shrivels up when the dry winds come and there's no root. You know this story? If you haven't, you can read it in Matthew 13. Well, just after that parable, there's another parable about weeds. Let me read it out. It should come up on the screen now. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. 
The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, do you want, do you, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. That is the kingdom of God we live in now. The weeds and the wheat. Let's pray. Oh God, give us eyes to see your light in this dark world. Don't let your word be snatched away from our hearts by Satan. And give us eyes to see the weeds so that we won't be choked by them. Help us to see the light of Christ. Whenever we're feeling distressed or hungry or despairing, even when life is comfortable, Lord, draw us to the light of Christ and help us be a light to this city as we reflect your love and justice and goodness and peace and righteousness to those around us. And where we fall short, Lord, we thank you for Christ that he died so that we might have peace with you. Let us live in that peace with one another to your glory. And we long for that day when we will enjoy your kingdom forever with no more darkness, no more crying, no more pain. And until that day, Lord, give us your strength to be your light in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing... one of my wife's favorite carols. Unfortunately, she was going to be leading singing, but she's unwell. So hi, Claire, on the live stream. Um, but we're going to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is a really fitting song to sing. A world crying out for God to come. So let's sing that together.